0: Well, hey, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of The Belma Show. Lisa Anderson here with you, as I usually am. And uh, this week, also no exception, I like to give you a little preview of what's coming up. So later on for our inbox, we have a listener who started dating a girl and is wondering how important it is for his parents to approve, uh, really, of their relationship. And he said they can be a little bit controlling. And so he wants to know, how can he kind of weigh into the conversation, value their opinions, but still assert kind of what he feels as well. And so our counselor, Glenn Lutyens, is going to answer that question for us. And then for our culture segment, to our friends Joshua Rogers and Suzanne Goslin, you probably know them well, are here to discuss healthy and unhealthy ways to be friends with the opposite gender. And this is based on their Classic articles, not your buddy, and uh, your friend girl deserves better. So, you can look those up on our site, read them, and then be part of the conversation. This will be part one of a two parter. So, check it out. Well, here we are for our roundtable, and we are going to talk about dating specifically in the realm of how do you date someone without losing yourself in the process. And I guess you know, you have to have. Found yourself at some point in order to lose yourself so maybe you're not even at stage one of that yet we'll find out I guess Um, but any of you who have watched the classic rom-com runaway bride you know that this is very much the the trope that they use she can't even decide how she likes her eggs because she's always deferred to the guy that she's dating well there are probably more important ways of losing yourself and finding yourself in this process so fortunately um, we have got Clara Jackson and Alex here to have this conversation hey Y'all. Hello, hello hello all right well Clara this is your first time joining a roundtable and so a big welcome to you and for our listeners so they know you are married to Jackson who has been on the show before that's right he's becoming <laughs> our resident introvert um, because I like teasing him about that because I just was blazed away by some of his statements about introverts when he was on that roundtable so you have to go and search for it check it out if you want to but they are married and then our friend Alex here engaged Waiting to get married. And so the whole, so clearly they've dated in the past. (laughs) And we're going to see, we're going to see how you guys do in answering some of these questions. So let's talk about just common ways that people do kind of compromise, how, you know, compromise where they are in a relationship, even losing bits of themselves. Because I feel like I said even before we started taping, I feel like I did this and I was quite surprised by it in the sense of like i consider myself to be a pretty strong personality a strong person but it's a little frog kettle i think sometimes you're just like wait a minute did i say that or why didn't i speak up or what does that look like so how have you guys seen it
1: manifested i think the ways that i've seen it manifested um particularly because it's very unhealthy um morality or Mm -hmm. decisions of ethics, uh, I think is the biggest way that I've seen uh, myself and my community change when dating, um, specifically in areas of purity, if you're dating, specifically in areas of uh, content that you watch or listen to music, TV shows. Uh, I think it's good to change with the person that you're dating. That's a lot of, I mean, I'm not married, but I know that's a lot of marriage. is just growing with someone and Mm -hmm. being sanctified is change. Mm -hmm. So obviously we don't want to idolize staying the same Mm -hmm. because change is good. But when you're with someone that maybe isn't a Christian or says they're a Christian, but doesn't really live that out, Mm -hmm. you end up changing in ways that are very unhealthy. Yeah. No, that
0: makes sense.
2: I think it's in the little ways. Um, I think no one goes into a relationship thinking I'm going to compromise and like (laughs) Mm -hmm. lose myself, but it's in those little ways that make you unique and, um, kind of quirky Mm -hmm. things that you start suppressing and then you realize like one day that you're embarrassed to do this little thing because you're so focused on impressing the other person or like really fearing that um, you're not going to be their perfect match and you Mm -hmm. just end up slowly like it is frog and kettle. It's really slow, I think.
0: Yeah. And doesn't it seem like you almost don't want to fail at a relationship? So you just kind of press forward trying to make it work. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's what it was for me. I didn't want to say like, oh, this didn't work out, or oh, I really got into a bad relationship or something. So I'm just like, oh, we can just work it out. And as a result, I just tried too hard. I mm-hmm. feel like it was just weird. But I don't know, Jackson, how about you?
3: Right. I, I agree with all you guys. I think, especially um, when you're in a dating relationship, it's easy to get that tunnel vision, and not always have that outside point of view to see where you're changing. Mm-hmm. And like Claire is saying, it can be super gradual. And then one, all of a sudden, one day you wake up, and you're compromising, or you're a different version of yourself, mm-hmm. or you're agreeing to do something that you probably wouldn't have, you know, months ago. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it, you, you really need to rely on that outside eye to, to kind of keep you accountable, but also just keep tabs on how you're doing and yeah. where you're at with that relationship.
0: Yeah. I feel like I was thinking about this beforehand and thinking to myself, okay, what are the ways that you can lose yourself in a relationship? And I kind of broke it down to three categories. I feel like you can lose yourself in terms of time, in terms of your personality, and then in terms of your values, which Alex already alluded to. And I feel like time is a very sneaky one because a lot of people go into a relationship, they're so excited that they're dating someone that they don't even set proper boundaries and parameters around like what place is this relationship going to have in my life and where it you know where it ends up being kind of unhealthy is all of a sudden you know we've all seen this someone starts chucking their friends their family their responsibilities you know maybe they're not showing up at church or they're not they were part of something at church or serving in some way but now oh i've got this boyfriend or girlfriend so i can't do that and it just like takes over their entire life and uh even in in, in smaller ways like i remember um being in a relationship once where the guy was just, he was just like You know super duper texter and all you know it was like my whole day was just like text trails with him and he'd like ping me about every single thing that was going on in his day and then i feel like well i'm dating him so i better respond and be like "Eh." well then all of a sudden like there goes half my day because all i'm doing is like texting you know (laughs) and it's just but it's weird you wouldn't think you have to set a hard line with that kind of thing i don't know where has where have you
1: seen time kind of creep in or lack of time for that I'm reminded of when I first started dating my fiance, Megan. Um, I think that it worked out, obviously, because we're getting married. Uh, (laughs) But uh, at the beginning of our relationship, I remember that her friend group was wary of me because we did spend so much time together. She was living on campus at Liberty at the time, and I was in a house off campus. And so we spent a lot of time at my house just because it was convenient, because Mm -hmm. on campus at Liberty, there aren't very many common areas for just guys and girls to hang out with in general. Um, So we would be at my house. We'd be watching a movie. We'd be playing a board game. Um, My friends didn't notice me spending a lot of time with her because it was at my house and all of my friends were my roommates. So they were like, it's great having her around. Mm -hmm. But I remember her friends were like, well, where'd you go? Mm -hmm. Like you're hiding from us or something. And I think if it hadn't worked out, it would have been a very big shame because she would have lost all this time with her friends for something that didn't actually end up working out. Uh, Looking back, I think we probably could have done a better job of incorporating her and her friend group um, into my world and Mm -hmm. kind of being a part of that. Um, But, I mean, thank goodness that we're getting married. And it (laughs) kind of worked out. But not that that justifies unhealthy time Mm -hmm. um, compromises, but I am glad that it wasn't wasted. (laughs) Yeah. Hmm.
3: Yeah, I think there's, for the listeners, there's nuance with long-distance dating and kind of that, you live in the same spot like Alex is describing. Claire and I actually did both. Mm-hmm. Um, the beginning of our dating relationship took place with distance. And so, Lisa, that, you know, the story about the texting mm-hmm. was a conversation that we had pretty often. It's like, okay, how, how long are we going to, um, how often will we let texting kind of be our main form of communication? Are we going to incorporate letters? Are we going to do FaceTime? What's going to be the weekly schedule, monthly schedule? All those details factored in to our thinking. And it it proved to be a very integral part of our dating relationship because it helped helped me. I'm definitely a planner and it helped me kind of think, okay, I know that this time will be dedicated to this and I can count on that. Mm -hmm. My other areas of time, Claire is allowing me and encouraging me and supporting me to spend that time with friends because she views that as a very important part of our dating relationship.
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Claire, I'd like to get your thoughts on that because I felt I actually dated a guy who we were in person. We were in the same town, but he was very good about like establishing just date nights. And I was like, "Um, are we like our grandma or what? (laughs) I just was like offended. I'm like, why wouldn't you want to spend all this time with me? And he's like, well, how about we just do Friday nights? And I'm like, "Uh, that's just rude. And, (laughs) you know, but then it was so good because it allowed us to have our separate lives and be like, we're just figuring out if this is even going to work. We're not like all in one another's business right away. And I'm not brunching with your mom and all this stuff. And so I think it was just a good plan to have. But it was kind of funny, because I felt like he was like, you know, kind of slamming some doors where I was like, shouldn't you just be always available for when I want to say something to you or meet up with you and stuff. So I don't know, how do you feel with the planningness of Jackson in that?
2: Oh, I felt so respected by it. But oh. to be fair, I do love brunching with his mom. So that <laughs> wouldn't have been a problem for us. But uh-huh. um, I don't know, especially with long distance, having the time boundary was really um, helpful for us. And we both felt so encouraged by one another to be where we were. And then when we were together or even just like having the Friday night phone call, mm-hmm. we had so much to catch up on. And it was not more fun obviously I would have loved to be in person and next to him in College Station or in um, my college town. But um, there's always so much to talk about and so much to catch up on. And it was really sweet to see like how he spent time writing letters through the week. And I knew that he was thinking about me, even though we weren't spending hours texting and um like neglecting our community where we were.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: That's so good. there was just a really sweet level of respect and like he honored my time. And um, that's something I noticed really early on. Yeah. yeah.
0: So how, um, let's just, you know, briefly move into the, the comment that I made about like personality and, you know, all of a sudden compromising priorities or likes and dislikes or whatever. I mean, some people Don't I mean, I think there's a difference between I just genuinely don't have an opinion on something. Like, I'm the person that's like, if someone gives me four restaurant choices, probably three of those I'm going to be pretty on board with. So I'm not like, I will only eat here, you know, whatever. Some people are like that. But how do you... What's a good way to understand, like, what's being flexible versus what is giving up stuff that really is important to you?
1: Gosh, that's so tough, because I think it obviously changes person per person. I... I think the Bible has to be the atlas that we use for what is flexible and what is not. Obviously, if you really care about the way you dress or your sense of humor, you can make that decision for yourself. I personally don't think that those things are as important to me to like hold on to them at the cost of the relationship. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to let my sense of humor be molded to my future spouse or the person i'm dating i'm willing to let the ways that i dress or maybe even parts of my personality that i really like let them go for the sake of growing with this person but if it goes against the bible that has Mm -hmm. to be like where it ends where Mm -hmm. the stop occurs Mm -hmm. Uh, and i think that's the only place i really feel comfortable advising anyone listening to draw lines because obviously it's going to be different for everybody else yeah And I feel like I was actually in a
0: relationship where it was a both-and with that. Like, I had a guy I dated who I realized pretty early on, like, didn't even like my personality. And I was like, why are you even dating me? But then, you know, then again, I was, like, offended. Like, well, I'm going to make you like me because I have a good personality. (laughs) So then all of a sudden, I was, like, on this mission, you know. But he was also a guy, and I've mentioned this on the show before, who – probably out of bad motives and just being kind of mean about it, like confronted me on using sarcasm and it being hurtful towards people. And I don't feel he was saying that in love. I didn't think we were in a good place in that. But what he said was actually legit, and I did take it to heart, and I felt like there was truth in that. And so it caused me, it prompted me to change and to Mm. adjust that about myself. So it was kind of like a weird ancillary growth of like, okay, that, you know, that was not delivered in love. That was not a good, you know, we just imploded. Uh, The relationship didn't work out, but I at least was able to take something away from it. So I felt like that was good. Um, Okay. And we did touch on values a little bit. And in that, and obviously recognizing like what are non-negotiables and and what are, what would you guys advise? So what are some of the warning signs like for someone that's in a relationship who may be like, okay, well, I want to wait it out because I don't, you know, I don't, I don't want to say my way or the highway and have this whole list of things that are just like you, if you're going to date me, you know, this is who you have to be. But at the same time, and I would say, you know, some of it can be values related. But, for example, I had a friend who dated and eventually married a guy who was like a super spender. And she's like, a, you know, her whole life is like Dave Ramsey to the penny. And it was kind of freaky. I mean, she was just like, well, I can be more flexible. But they've really had to have some conversations in marriage about... <laughs> Like, what do we do with this? Because he's just blowing money out and stuff, and it can be tricky. So how do you guys feel like you have the conversation going into a relationship on stuff like that?
3: So I think conversations involving personality values, idolizations. I like like what Alex said about kind of idolizing the relationship, because once, once you're able to kind of realize, okay, whenever I think about this relationship, I'm thinking about external things, like how we appear to others, how we look to others, their behavior things, rather than kind of the internal character things that's probably a warning sign right Mm -hmm. when you're starting to notice like you mentioned a super spender that's that's pretty easy to identify and observe Mm -hmm. but the sarcasm thing might be a little bit more subtle Mm -hmm. every time you go out or you spend time in a group watching a movie if someone's consistently you know making fun of people or making fun of you in front of others Mm -hmm. that's probably a sign that okay if i'm not speaking up about that then I'm kind of compromising there. Mm-hmm. And like I mentioned earlier, it, it might take a close friend kind of pointing that out or using them as a sounding board to to, to realize that something else is going on underneath that surface.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that close friend has got to be the person that tells you. I think when you're in a relationship, you're going to be blind to a lot of stuff. Um, just in the design of a relationship, you have rose-colored lenses on, And a lot of times, I mean, I've seen with my friend groups, you just don't see, you just don't see yourself changing. You just don't see the areas you're compromising. I've seen friends specifically that just haven't seen those changes happening because they're so wrapped up in this relationship, so wrapped up in this person. And so let this be another heavy encouragement to find a community and do life with that community for a really long time Mm -hmm. so that they know you well enough um, to where if you are in a relationship and you are hopefully dating like this person and bringing them into that community and that community gets to see, Hey, what does Alex look like with this person? Is it healthy? Is it not? Mm The community has got to be like the barometer for that as well as the word of God, clearly, obviously, but with some of those nuanced things, your community has to be the people that tell you because you're just not going to see some stuff.
0: Yeah. yeah. It really seems like on the front end of a relationship, you have to decide why you're going into this. I mean, to have that your head on straight from the get-go, because like one thing I was just thinking of is so many people get in bad relationships because they are so desperate to be in a relationship. Like I've had people straight up tell me, Lisa, I just need to date this guy because he might be my last chance. Or what if no one else asks me out and stuff? And that's where we have to be willing to hold it with an open hand and realize that of all people god is the one who wants to give us good gifts and he's going to lead us into a great relationship if that's what he wants us to be in and he's not limited in his resources in doing that but i think when we start grasping and we start feeling like i just have to make this work or i have to shoehorn myself into into this um i think that's where we can get into trouble it seems tricky yeah yeah for sure
3: and i think on that front end too take a moment to know yourself. Mm-hmm. And that can be really helpful because you don't want to be that person that on the third date lays out a 15 step plan about <laughs> this is what I'm looking for. This is I what know. I care about. This is what I'm not going to be looking for. But as that relationship kind of naturally grows, and especially for the guy, that's a great place to take some ownership and, and lead and kind of talk about, okay, these are the things that I value. These are the things I value about you. This is what I don't value. And this is something that maybe we can explore and grow through together um, if that relationship continues to be more serious. It's a fine line to walk, right? You don't want to be too rigid in the beginning or you don't want to be too flexible, but there is a nice balance that exists there.
4: Yeah.
0: What would you guys say it looks like to be a good friend in this kind of scenario where you see someone who's either infatuated with someone or they've gotten into a relationship that they will not extricate themselves from because they're just going to make it work or whatever? How do you approach them as a friend? and kind of give them some insight to help them on their way.
2: Well, I have—I think I have a friend who did this really well. I met Jackson in the summer, and when I came back to college, um, my friend noticed this like extra vibrance to me, and um, <laughs> maybe it was a little bit of infatuation, but I don't think so. Um, it was just this extremely um, joyful, and I don't know, just this excitement that she hadn't seen from me before, and she encouraged it in me, and then later noticed that, oh, okay, this person that she's found that she is a friend in, at the time we were friends, um, is bringing out the best in her. And like all, like I said earlier, all the little quirky things, because we're all quirky, right? But these little things that I'd maybe been a little bit um, hesitant in revealing about myself before, were just really um, emphasized and highlighted in the best, healthiest ways of myself. And um, she did that really well she encouraged that in me she was like hey did you notice that you made this joke earlier and maybe you wouldn't have made that joke outside of the house before but you were confident in it and it wasn't hurtful to anyone else and you seemed happy when you said it if that makes sense so wow um she did that really well and I'm forever thankful for that because she was like maybe it's this guy that you met and that mm-hmm. he's um, helping you become more confident in who you are because he likes who you are and you should do mm-hmm. but I don't know it's, good. it's
1: fun to be that friend that sees something to encourage uh-huh, in a relationship. Okay. Cause obviously when your friends are dating, you want to say good things about that relationship because they're clearly excited about it. Mm-hmm. I think it's a lot harder for the friends that have the task of potentially pointing out an area where they have to introduce conflict into their friend's relationship. That's not a fun place to be. It's hard enough for me to have conflict in my relationship just between me and my fiance. Mm-hmm. It'd be, um, almost harder if I came up to a friend introducing conflict into their relationship, because then I feel even more guilty. I'm like, I'm sorry. I just want you to be happy. Mm -hmm. Um, I think what you said about it being a friend is really important. Mm -hmm. Don't just go say it to someone, you know, that you're like, Mm -hmm. Hey, I think that this is something that you need to grow in Uh, because you need a context of caring for that person historically. Mm -hmm. So that when you say potentially hurtful or uncomfortable things, they have a context for you already of hopefully years, but a long duration of time where you've really been there for them and you have really spoke life into them. Mm. And so when you say this thing, they won't take it as just a hater. Mm -hmm. You're just hating on my new happiness. What are you doing? (laughs) It's more like, oh, like, I'm sure you're trying to help. I know you love me and I know that this is, even if I disagree with you, at least you're trying to help and at least you're trying to love. As far as practically, like, how to go about that, I don't know if I've ever received that sort of criticism from my community. Mm. Um, Part of me even being asked that question wanted to say something like, oh yeah, like there was this one relationship that was super unhealthy Mm -hmm. and all my friends were like, you need to get out of here. That has never happened with me. And I have been in unhealthy um, relationships before. So even looking back, I don't want to like throw all my friends under the bus, but that's not something that my community did. Mm -hmm. But it's something that we should definitely try to do, especially in the church, especially yeah. when there's deeper and more important things than just being happy with someone. There's yeah. actual spiritual growth at stake.
0: And it makes me realize how, again, for the dater, the whole timing issue is so important too, because I feel like the friends that have been, that have lost themselves the most in a relationship and have been unwilling to get out are the ones who dated for a while exclusively without bringing friends into the relationship. Mm-hmm. Because then, like this happened kind of with my... um Dave Ramsey friend she was so by the time another friend and I addressed this with her she was so into this guy that there was nothing we could say I mean we could have like brought him up on America's Most Wanted and she would have been like whatever we'll work it out I mean I'm not even kidding bless your heart if you're listening you know who you are but anyway I'm just saying and I will tell on myself here too because I feel I'm probably the only one at this table who has actually had friends stage an actual intervention for a guy that I was dating um and did it in a very kind way and were super precious about it. But it was one that had started out long distance and he actually wasn't even defining where we were in the relationship before he said hey, like maybe you want to move like to my city. And I actually had to tell him for a non-relationship, like this does not seem like a good deal here. And it was only because my friends were like, you need to stop settling for this guy because he is not moving the needle and nothing is happening and you're just biding your time. And so it was very helpful for them to do that. But they insert, <laughs> they sat in my living room and were like, anyway, let's talk about this. <laughs> it was It was a full-on intervention. So it was dicey, but...
1: It's so funny that you say that because I had a friend, a really close friend. He's going to be a groomsman at my wedding. He was dating a girl that was not moving the needle either. He was crazy about her. Yeah. And she just like was still trying to tie off like a previous, not like relationship, but like a really close friendship that was for some reason like hurtful that it ended. Some messy situation. So I remember we did have a conversation with him. We're like, you deserve someone that also wants to go out with you. Yeah. And they're married now. So she, we, we had the intervention with him. It wasn't a full on intervention, but it was a conversation, a couple conversations. Yeah. But she got over it. She, uh, so that's like a success story, you know, where it's like, he didn't like take our advice and be like, yeah, I'm going to end it. She actually just wised up to him and was like, you know what? Fine. We're going to go out. Yeah. They're married and they're very sweet. But it was great that he at least wasn't, like, all in. Like, I'm
0: just, you know, I mean, obviously there had to have still been kind of a dance there as far as their relationship. He wasn't just like, anyway, let's just get, you know, all enmeshed and be... Like, okay so that's yeah. good I probably would have you yeah. know so you would have had to come and talk to me too so anyway <laughs> well you guys this has been really helpful and really fun thank you so much for weighing in on this and being part of the conversation um, good thoughts and hopefully those of you listening have some thoughts too whether from your own experience or um, you know maybe you've been kind of on the outside looking in so uh, find us on social and give us your comments as well thanks guys thank you Lisa thank you
4: but I may hope you alone, a worthless soul like me is love
0: Well, folks, we are here for today's culture segment, and uh, this is another fun one because we are doing it live, and you will notice that if you're listening after the fact. Uh, this is via our Listen app, and we have future events coming up, uh, so just a heads up, check our site and the podcast for those. We will let you know when those are happening so you can be part of our live virtual audience for those. Um, but today, we have got Joshua Rogers and Suzanne Gosselin, uh, who really don't necessarily need any introduction unless you have only been around Boundless for like a day and a half. Uh both of them have written for Boundless, they've been part of Boundless events, they have been on the show before. They are great friends of Boundless and just wise, wise people who have walked relationships out. Uh, Joshua is an attorney by day, and then <laughs> when he's not when we don't have him working for Boundless, uh, he's an attorney. He's also a husband and a dad. And uh, he's an author of Confessions of a happily married man finding god in the messiness of marriage so joshua welcome to the boundless show
5: thank you so much it's good to be back
0: all right. And Suzanne, you know her as one of our bloggers. She occasionally has the time to write when she can get to a coffee shop or somewhere quiet. Um, she's one of our regular contributors as well as writing articles for us. Uh, she's an editor in her own right, both past and present, as well as uh, just doing a fair amount of writing and, and even ghost writing for others. More on that later. Uh, but she's married to Kevin and they have four kids. Suzanne, welcome.
6: Hi, Lisa. Good to be here.
0: Excellent. Um, and Suzanne's book, if any of you have checked it out or gotten it for a family member, um, is a great book for moms, Grit and Grace, Devotions for Warrior Moms. So uh, check that one out. All right. Well, we are going to talk today about two... um, Well, we're going to use as a launch pad two classic, classic, classic boundless articles. In fact, those of you in the audience, you're probably like... I mean, pull them up in front of you on your your mobile device or on your desktop if you're there. Um, Suzanne's article, Not Your Buddy, which, Suzanne, I didn't even look. Do you know when that was originally written? How long ago did you write that? Yes,
6: I... I looked back and it was written in 2006. Actually. Wow. Okay. Yeah.
0: You were like five years old then. <laughs> That's right. Okay. That's right. <laughs> okay. And then Joshua, you wrote your friend girl deserves better. I think that was originally about 2012, right? I, I think it was
5: 2015.
0: Oh, okay. So maybe sooner or more recent than that. Okay. Okay. So kind of two sides of a same but different coin on the whole idea of like when we don't do friendships well, when we're kind of like, uh, you know, maybe trying to get things out of a friendship with the opposite sex and make some missteps along the way. Both articles received a ton of response from boundless listeners. And so I want to kind of revisit them in our conversation today. And the first, you know, if one of you can kind of kind of start us out, maybe Suzanne, since, you know, your article uh, led us out of the gate back in the day, Explain to us what these articles, per se, are trying to address. Discuss it really from your perspective, how how it went down, how you came about even writing the article.
6: Yeah, well, I guess back in 2006, I was seeing this trend among my friends. We were in our 20s, and a lot of my girlfriends, probably there were three or four at the time I wrote the article, were experiencing this situation where they had developed a really close friendship with... Uh, met a man and they wanted more, but he just didn't seem interested in that. And yet they were spending a lot of time together. Other people were asking if they were dating. It seemed like it was going to be the natural next step for them to begin dating. But then The guy would say something like, oh, I don't see myself in a relationship anytime soon. Um, That would kind of crush her hopes. And as I read back through the article, I think I was feeling angry about that, a little defensive for my friends. Um, I felt hurt for them that, um, that they were being mistreated, in my opinion. And I just wanted to address this situation that was fairly common.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, and Joshua, weigh in on your angle on this uh, this story and the way you wrote your article.
5: Well, I think I was writing it to myself, <laughs> um, my single version of myself. I was married at the time. I had two kids. And, you know, I was the guy who had friend girls. And also, I was in D.C. The ratio of evangelical men to women is way off. So you can be like a four back home And you go to D.C. and you're 6.5. And it's so much easier to be uh, to have friend girls. And um, I think I looked back on it and may have projected a lot of myself onto guys. And I'm not sure in retrospect how much I support everything I said in the article seven years later.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, obviously, I mean, with the response that we have gotten historically from both articles, I think there were a lot of very big ahas for people. And, you know, it's kind of like a frog kettle situation. And I'm talking to myself here because I have been in uh these buddy, friend girl relationships. I always call them friend relationships. I have been in group ones. Is that even possible? Like I actually had to break (laughs) up from a group friend relationship. I mean, maybe I'm the only one that ever had to do that. But I know that there was also kind of some what, you know, like me? No, not me. And there was there was feedback and even pushback that you two have received. Talk a little bit about that.
6: Yes. Well, one thing I wanted to clarify is um, the first subtitle in my article is says it's not our fault, and through the years <laughs> I've had several of my my guy <laughs> friends say they felt that I was saying that women were saying it's not our fault, it's all the guys' fault, which. Yeah you know, the article overall does maybe have that feeling. But what I meant that to be was like a quotation, like my guy friends at the time were saying, it's not our fault. Ah, Women are reading into this. And I actually thought that they had a valid point there. So I'm interested to hear from uh, some of the the people in the audience, if especially men, if they have felt this, that women read into everything and it's not our fault that they're getting the wrong idea and they're thinking that we owe them, you know, a date or something.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's hard because you are, you know, in fact, I, I'm i going to jump over to Joshua because, Joshua, you actually open your article with a story of sitting down with a guy who was kind of like what, you know, why are you telling me about this and and kind of saying like, hey, here's what I'm offering to women and they can either <laughs> take it or leave it. I mean, you, is that kind of the general
5: consensus from guys out there or how do they feel? Oh, I mean, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I certainly hope not. It's, it's really hard. I think part of what mixes it up these days is so much online dating, so much of like the texting and the messaging. It's hard to know what a friend relationship even looks like now I think technology actually muddies the water um but for the guys who have the courage um to actually meet real human beings um I think it's mixed it depends on the guy yeah and that's not what my position was I, in that article <laughs> I think I was too prescriptive yeah I definitely Suzanne and I were talking back and forth I think last week about this and I read it and I was surprised at my reaction. I, I was, I just was like, I, I, I to, actually, I told Suzanne, I hated it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but so many people have loved it. Well, we're going to get right. to that. We're going to get to that. So we're, I think it's kind of like, you know, there there are sometimes it's almost like multiple faces of the same person. You know, you can say something and you have to just tell it like it is and put it on the line. And it's not like you had you addressed it in an entire book where you could have gone into a lot of nuances. You were just sharing one sliver of the story. But I do want to in fact, this is a great place to say that um in addition to this conversation, both. Joshua and Suzanne have agreed to kind of blog on this very thing, kind of their reflections now, years after writing those pieces, what they would say differently, kind of what their feelings are about it. And so this week and next, look for Joshua's and Suzanne's posts on that. So kind of supplemental stuff in that direction. Um, okay, let's move to. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves without giving uh kind of, you know, we have many, many new listeners in the in the pool here. So I want to give a little bit of a diagram diagnosis and have both of you describe, you know, for the person that's like, I don't know if I've been a friend girl. I don't know, you know, who, what's a buddy? What is it? Talk about, Suzanne, what are warning signs for women that they may be in this kind of relationship? And Joshua, what does it look like for guys? Kind of give a a little bit of a, here's, (laughs) you may be if, you know, dot, dot, dot.
6: (laughs) That's great. Yeah. So in the article, I actually quoted um, one of my college professors from Multnomah University, um, Dr. Pamela Reeve, and she had written a book on relationships. And she talked about how you have what in your life you'll typically have acquaintances, companions, and then intimate friends. And she was saying If a man and a woman are intimate friends, that means they spend more than two hours together a week. Now, we're not going to be nitpicky if it's two hours and five minutes or something like that. Hmm. But if they're spending a lot of time together, she said typically one or the other will start to harbor romantic expectations because they are closer than just companions. Just, um, you know, hey, yeah, let's go and do one thing together with a group or uh, maybe we even you know, meet for breakfast or something, but we're instead we're spending multiple hours together as some as a couple in a relationship would be doing. Then I would say that is going into that zone of a buddy, um, a friend relationship. And there has been no defining the relationship conversation. So neither person knows where they stand.
0: Okay. Joshua symptoms for a man in a buddy friend girl relationship. I want
5: to just say, can I clarify the, I hated it comment? Sure. Um, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> I'm not trying to undermine myself too much because Suzanne kind of talked me off the ledge. But the <laughs> thing that bothered me about it was that it was only directed toward guys because I assumed it was only guys. I just had that in my head. It was as if women were incapable of this. Um, Both men and women are. I just think the nature of how they do it is different. And Mm -hmm. I think that I should have recognized that. I think the difference with men is that I think that they're impacted by ideals in a different way than women are. I could be wrong about this. So I think guys have been um, they've got pictures in their minds, probably honestly, from porn. And it has impacted their way to see beauty. I mean, I look back at pictures of, like, grandparents and stuff, and you're like, wow, y'all didn't look that great. <laughs> you know, these are not, like, stunning – I mean, these are not stunning faces, but they wanted to get together and get married and have babies and, you know, I guess work the farm together. Yeah. <laughs> but there was, like, the, the expectation of how idealistic, you know, you could be about someone's looks. I think that's something that impacts men. And I do think that what you see with men is that they do get all of these qualities, all of these feelings and all of this, you know, interaction with women who they give them the benefits of a male and female close relationship. But they don't really have to go that extra step and do what grandma and grandpa did.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And I I do want to say too because I think you were kind of insinuating this or correct me if I'm wrong, but but in my experience, it it's not one gender doesn't only play the one role and do the certain behaviors, and then the other one only acts the other way. I mean, those are kind of broad brush strokes that we've gone into there. Um, for example, you know, I, I have not written on this topic per se, but I when I speak, I, I speak on it or allude to it a lot. And I talk about guys that I know who have become, for women, that gal pal or they've become the girl's ride for every event that they need to go to or they're her handyman or they're and they get into this kind of being used kind of relationship so it's not like guys yes. are just all these jerks who are like I'm going to use women and just use companionship and whatever they can fall in that role of kind of being the the blindsided person too mm-hmm. so just clarifying clarifying that but um let's talk about now that I've said that <laughs> I do want to <laughs> talk about it seems just Generally, in my experience, when this type of relationship is is happening and it's ingrained, and I've talked in the past about I had a friend, you know, I've been in these, but I had a friend who was in one of these for seven years um, with a guy that... She thought, I don't, I'm, I'm looking, scanning our audience here. I don't know that what? she's on the call here, but, um, she literally, after seven years of exactly what Suzanne described in her article, you know, hanging out with this guy, they had, they knew each other's Starbucks drinks. They had pet names for mm. each other. They were oh each gosh. other's besties, going to movies, doing whatever. She sat Good. down with him in a restaurant after seven years and broke up with him from a non relationship. And because of the investment she'd put into it, and I'm talking most of her 20s, it was like a divorce and it took her about two years to get over. So I want to say that to talk about there's a seriousness and a gravitas to this that really is like, folks, we got to figure, you know, you got to figure out if you're boiling in this kettle. Now, it seems to me in my experience, getting back to my question, that women often have to do the breakup, a la my friend. Now, why is that? Why do guys let this drag out, maybe knowing what's going on or suspecting what's going on? The women are hanging on because they're hopeful. The guys are kind of letting it happen. And the women often have to, like, drop the hammer. Why Why do you think that is?
5: Well, since we're doing a culture segment, <laughs> I I think that so much of this has to do with our evangelical culture there is still an assumption that the man is the one who's supposed to pursue. And I think women who pursue are seen like as they're doing something wrong. So if their hands are tied, then it becomes so much easier for them to have to sit on their hands and wait to see, you know, if some guy doesn't like them, snatch them up, then they have to cross their fingers and hope that some guy is going to pursue them lest they become like some like, you know, vixen who's just trying to hang out with a guy. And so I think that having a culture where, where men are in the driver's seat by default hmm. makes it a lot easier for a woman to be in a position where she's like, okay, I'll take what I can get because maybe this will be that relationship.
0: Yeah. Any thoughts to add, Suzanne?
6: Yeah. I mean, in my article, I... I realized I kind of villainized the guys. I was like, wow, I was like really angry when I wrote this, I think. Um, I just was really putting that challenge out there because I was seeing it so often that it was the woman like your friend who had, had been really investing for quite a long time and the guy just would never do anything. And I had actually asked some of my male friends, like, why do you guys do this? And they said, well, as long as she doesn't tell me otherwise I assume she's okay with it and so I saw that as they weren't really realizing maybe what they were doing to these women in their lives they thought everything was fine unless she spoke up and said that it wasn't but then what I was seeing was when the woman had to initiate that kind of conversation um, she ended up feeling humiliated and it was a bad experience so I don't know. I guess at worst, I would say it probably feels good to be in a relationship like that where you're getting the benefits of having a girlfriend, but you don't have to um, actually have the commitment there. Hmm. So, well, and Lisa, one thing,
5: I'm sorry, Suzanne, one thing that I would say is that I also, my problem with mine is that I also villainize the guys. I remember back when I wrote this and I was writing articles like this, like guys would get so mad. It's like, he's a man hater. <laughs> I wasn't. It was like I was in this coach role. But the problem is, I think that on the one hand, it's it was written as if guys are the ones who were supposed to like protect their hearts or whatever. But on the other hand, something is that I think it was really condescending to women. Like it's like, like she can't put the boundaries up. I mean, for the women out there, no, you can do this. Like, if this is going on that long, you know better. I mean, like, and also, you know, if my daughter ever comes to me one day and is like, Daddy, you know, there's this guy, we've been talking for six months, he's not interested. He tells me about the girls he is interested in. I would just be like, you know what, Layla, if you keep seeing him, it's on you. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, and that was the thing. My expectations of women were so low to the point of, I believe, There was low-grade condescension.
0: Okay. Yeah, and that's, I mean, I think it is. Women have to wake up and have to realize that if we're enabling this kind of behavior, like you said, Joshua, that is on us. I think it is just kind of a bummer. I can hear every woman, the echo of her voice saying, OK, but why do we always have to be the one? <laughs> Why do we have to be on our guard? Why do we have to be? Why can't the guys just help hold that line? And and like I said, I think it does go both ways Um, in that sense. And we'll probably have some specific questions from folks uh, along those lines. But before we get to the Q&A, though, I do want to say, so what does it look like? like, I mean, does this just mean, it? I feel like from this conversation, it's like, just never be friends with the opposite gender. So (laughs) how, I mean, is there a way to actually do it, especially in a digital age, where it's so easy to get that sneaky text trail going, where it goes all day, and all of a sudden, you're just in their business, like, 24-7, sharing way too much information, and or, you know, you might start out in the same small group at church, and then it's hanging out with this, and then it just, it's just crazy craziness. So how do we do friendship? Well?
6: Yeah, well, I think one thing that I I talked about in my blog post is that my thinking on the matter did mature through the years. So I wrote the article in 2006. And then it wasn't until 2009 that I met my husband and we we got married the end of that year. So in that time, that interim time, those interim years, I was navigating is there some sort of happy medium between having no friends of the opposite gender and uh, being in a relationship with someone? And so there were many times that I'm like, I feel like I'm disobeying my own advice in not your buddy because I'm getting to know this guy and we're spending more time together, but we're not dating. Like, am I, you know, am I doing something wrong? And I think the way that the Lord led me was that, I could trust how he was leading me and i could trust that if i was seeking him as i was navigating these friendships that i wouldn't get into that bad place and so uh, that was just learning to exercise wisdom so i think that you can have good friendships with the opposite gender and not let it get into an unhealthy place which might just be that hey, I'm spending too much time with this person, I need to cut it back, because I feel that my heart is getting too invested. Um, Or it might just be, you don't let it languish for seven years, you give it a chance for a few months. And if there's no forward movement, then you back off at that point.
5: Hmm. Yeah, and I would say, you know, I totally agree, you get a man and a woman together. And they spend a lot of time. Somebody is going to get interested unless it's. I mean, I think there are exceptional circumstances where just like nobody's, and like there just simply isn't any attraction. But if you get a couple of people together, man and woman, they hang out w- way too much. You're watching movies till one in the morning. Somebody's going to want to kiss, and <laughs> I think they just are. And I think you've just got to stay on top of that. I mean, I'm married. I. And I realize, you know, single people obviously aren't married, but, you know, I don't spend time alone with other women. I'm very committed to my wife, but I don't even want the possibility of any of that getting ginned up because I remember what it's like to be single. I remember like hanging out with somebody I wasn't that interested in, but wanted to like get physical in some way just because we could. So I mean, especially as a believer, you really have to think about not just how you are running risk emotionally, but I mean, if you're like a lot of other normal human beings, you might do more than that. Yeah, for sure. Okay, well, there are so many
0: more questions that I want to ask, but of course, we have to uh, leave it up to our audience. And so we are going to pause. um, Folks who are listening to this after the fact, the Q&A is going to come next week for you. Um, And so we want you to come back and be a part of the Q&A as well. And then make sure that next time we do a Listen App event, you are live in our audience so you can ask a question. Um, But for now, I want to say thanks to Suzanne and Joshua. we're going to be back with us next week. And uh, yeah, we're thank you guys so much for the wisdom that you shared today.
6: Thanks, Lisa.
5: Yeah, good to be on here.
0: folks. Well, we are finishing out the show, opening up our inbox, as we always do. And as we often do, we have one of our fantastic uh, members of our counseling department here at Focus on the Family and Boundless. And today it's Glenn. Hey, Glenn. Hi, Lisa. Okay, well... Uh, you're going to go ahead and answer this question from one of our listeners, a dating question. So, okay. um, yeah, let me just jump in and read it for you. Our listener says, I've recently started dating a girl and I'm wondering how important is it that my parents approve of my girlfriend? My pastor said it's about if the couple's honoring God in the relationship, not about the parents. Also, my parents have a tendency to get involved in my love life too much and be controlling. Is it dishonoring to my parents if I continue to date her?
7: Well, some of what I would say would depend upon how old this young man is, Mm -hmm. his living situation. Is he 18, living at home? Is he 28, living on his own? Mm -hmm. Um, I I think as uh, believers in Christ, we're called to honor our parents. Mm -hmm. We're not necessarily called to obey them. Mm -hmm. Um, That being said, it's important to realize that we may have some blind spots, Mm -hmm. And there may be some things that we're not looking at, that we're not seeing, especially if there's a lot of excitement, if there's a lot of romantic uh, feelings going on. We may not be seeing some things that are important to take a look at. And even if if mom and dad are uh, maybe more prone to overstep some mm-hmm. of their bounds, maybe to get a little bit more involved than they should, it doesn't necessarily mean that they may not have some things worth saying. Mm-hmm. It's very possible to have both, an over, a parent who's overstepping his or her bounds, but at the same time some insight that might be of value. So I, I think it can be very constructive to say, I want to hear your input. Mm-hmm. That matters to me, what you think, what you feel. Um, and to really be able to listen to it, not to be defensive, because that's real easy to do, because this is about a person that he really is starting to like and maybe even start feeling some love toward. But to, uh, to be able to listen to them, to validate what they're feeling. Validate there doesn't mean that he necessarily agrees with it, but he's acknowledging that these are some of their perceptions. Mm. And to weigh, to weigh that in his mind and his thinking, praying about it, and I think it's really helpful to get some outside input. Mm. I mean, if what mom or dad is saying has merit to it, there's probably going to be someone else who is observing their relationship will acknowledge maybe some of the same things as well.
0: Yeah. That's a great point. I think, too, I mean, like what you said about validating is so great, because I think, you know, if he goes into this, if he has a conversation with his parents saying, assuming that their intentions are good. I mean, very Mm -hmm. few parents are like, the one thing we want to do is control our son's relationship. The one they probably just have strong opinions or they have this vision of Mm -hmm. who their son is going to date and marry. And, you know, if this person doesn't match up, then, you know, so there's there's their own. Fallibility in this too, right. and their own uh, proclivities to how how they're making assumptions and stuff, and so him being generous uh, and and graceful towards them, I think, is going to go a long way and yeah. have it. So, you think he should sit down and have this conversation with them?
7: Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah. again, it may be a scenario where he lets them know I'm going to give some some thought, some prayer to what you share with me. I do believe it's something that I need to make a decision about. Mm-hmm. But you guys matter to me a lot, and. Um, you know your perspective has has merit to it yeah. in that regard, but there very well could be a, a situation where I, I see what you're saying. Uh, if there is any substance to it, certainly for there maybe to be some, you know, even pre-engagement counseling, I'm a hmm. big believer in pre-engagement counseling, as long as it's not too soon, yeah. which then pushes a relationship farther into the dating process. Uh, or if it's, you know, a, a foregone conclusion, you know, wedding date is set, that type of thing. Uh, sometimes when a person is still exploring the question, is this a wise decision? Pre-engagement counseling can be very helpful.
0: Yeah. Well, a lot of great advice and hopeful strategies there for moving forward. So thanks so much, Glenn. You're very welcome. Okay, folks. Well, that's it for this week's show. Um, We would love it, of course. You know, We're a couple months into the new year here now. We'd love it if you would hop over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review of the show. We find so many people who have heard about the show because they decided to check it out and read the reviews. So uh, if you'd be willing to give us a glowing review, we would sure appreciate it. So that's over at Apple Podcasts. Otherwise, I will see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show.
4: The Boundless Show is a production of boundless.org. Focus on the family.